This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather up to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Thanks so much for joining the conversation today. We're right in the middle of a series titled Go Home, Finding Our Way. We, we sure hope you've been following along. Each of these conversations in the series will look at some common assumptions regarding the home and its proper place in our lives, um, whether you are male or female, married, not married, and then also how that fits in in relation to the church and the world. So we're discussing all sorts of things. Um, Hannah, this has been such a robust conversation so far. We've covered all sorts of things related to home and family, and it's just really been um, stimulating to me and helping me to think through things in my own life. I have really enjoyed kind of stretching the categories. Yes. Um, Asking questions in ways that are slightly different. I think there's a tendency for us to formulate our questions and then assume that there are multiple answers to our question. And then mm. you pick the answer that you want to that question or the one you're convinced of. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just as much value in having multiple questions and testing the questions that we come with and maybe restructuring them a bit. I really appreciated the conversation we had um, last episode and having Wesley Hill's contribution about not just who belongs in your home, right? Like Mm -hmm. we have this category or this question of what is a home for, but expanding that a bit and say, well, who should your home be serving? Yeah. How should we be having openness in Mm -hmm. our home so that it goes beyond just our tight circle, but still has its own integrity and its own rhythm and practice? That was helpful for me, even in assessing some uh, invitations, some social invitations that Mike and I have had as of late. We actually have had quite a bit of travel recently, and so I feel... um, a little bit more uh, ready to hunker down. And it's also winter, it's cold in Illinois. So I I feel like I'm ready to hunker. But these conversations have helped me to think through that whole idea of the orbiting. Remember, we talked a bit about that, like, who are your lives? Who, who is in your orbit for your life? And thinking it through in terms of connectedness and bonds and how my place is important in regard to other people. And so I feel like I've been able to think that through better and almost in a way where I can choose sacrificially to invest and to build, even when I think my first inclination, because I am a homebody, is to say, oh, I just want 
to sit at home. And so mm. this has been helpful for me to think that through. Who am I connected to? And what is our home and marriage life meant to be? So it's having direct impact on how I think and operate and make decisions. At the same time, though, I came away from our last conversation really convinced of the beauty of this kind of openness of our homes and the um, welcome that we could provide. But I also inevitably was asking, well, that's not just like an openness completely like you're obliterating any boundaries around your home, right? The home is still a distinct unit. It's, it's, there's a level of fluidity that we want to understand about the nature of our relationships and, and the openness we have within our communities, but home still is a thing, Mm -hmm. right? It is a very specific unit within the broader body politic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not just um, free for all, wide open, because in that way, it almost seems like it would be really hard to define who is your orbit. (laughs) And you want to know you want to be locked in and you want to have a sense of who are the people that I am most responsible to, because that is going to shape than how you operate in society. And so we do have to have a clear sense of that um, relational connectedness and what's what the home is for and also the people within it, the family within the home. And I think probably my tendency is to want to push back against the hunkering down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's just based on my own space that I've emerged from, you know, the kinds of messages that I've received. So I think some of the hunkering down, the the kind of drive to kind of batten down the hatches, yes. close the doors, pull uh-huh. pull the storm shutters shut is in part because I think we have received this messaging that the home is under attack in broader society. Yeah, that's very common language that I hear for sure. So there is this kind of fear or anxiety that Mm -hmm. if your home is existing in this larger thing that you can't trust, then you should hunker down and be careful about who and what you let into it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really brought up some questions for me, not just to say, is the home under attack? Should we have like this openness or what should we, how should we think about our relationship to what's happening outside of our doors? Should they be open? You know, how open should they be? Yeah, but also yeah. the more fundamental question of what is the relationship of the home to the broader community? Because mm-hmm. obviously there has to be a difference, right? The home is not the same thing as larger society and yet they exert influence on each other. Mm-hmm. And who is defining it? And if we feel like it's under attack, who's doing the attacking? I think that's always what I'm curious about, too, is um, the the enemy isn't clearly defined. Um, and I think that's what actually can stimulate even more fear, because it isn't quite clear what is it that's being attacked and in what way? But we've we have the sense that the most important thing that we would hold dear, which is home and family, is not safe. And so I think that it stirs up in us uh, a need to be on 
defensive, um, beyond the defense, and, and to make sure that we are doing everything we can to protect what we think is the proper way that home should be um, operating in the world and functioning and surviving, I guess. Right. And this question of the relationship of family and home to broader society and even how we function as a nation has really been politicized too. Definitely. I mean, we can't we can't get away from that, that on on all accounts it's been politicized, not just on the right or left. Like this kind of question of who is a legitimate family, mm-hmm. what are legitimate marriages, mm-hmm. um, how do we define even like what parents can and can't do, you know, yeah. what is within the boundaries of the common good. Uh, all of these things seem to be this really pressing question over the last couple decades. And it's been that for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like I I tend to hear a lot from the right because that's the spaces I've emerged from. And so I do hear the language of the family is under attack. And usually that's kind of subtext for, um, you know, shifts in traditional sexual mores, traditional mm-hmm. definitions of family, abortion, um, those kinds of questions are what are being coded into that. But the the left and progressives have been just as intense in driving for certain uh, family values, right? Differing right. family values. Right. Um, and so I don't think there's any escaping this sense that this is one of the fundamental, most pressing issues of our time that we're trying to sort through is what exactly is the home, what is the family, and how does it relate to our common community? Right. And what does the common community owe the family? Yes. And which families? <laughs> that is really the question. But I, I love that you are pointing out that the the way that the family is defined um, and nurtured and protected and how it's being viewed by society, that is something that's of concern to all people. And I think recognizing that because we have all people have different perspectives of what a flourishing home and family would look like, that's what's driving the sense of needing to have your definition um, validated and and at the forefront of society. So the the concern or the fear that your stance is under attack, whether you say families are under attack or um, the free love is under attack or whatever it would be, whatever side you're coming from, it's because you feel like your vision is being um, stifled in some way. And so I appreciate what you're saying there is that we have to recognize we are all feeling these tensions and it's coming from the importance of home and family. That really is highlighting in a great way that actually this is so important and we do need to have these conversations. But I also think there is a deeper question underneath this or or perhaps a root of why we're even asking it. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to acknowledge that both um, left and right in the political social spectrum are pressing into this question of family mm-hmm. um, and and home. 
But what I think is fascinating is why? Why is it even there? Like, why is it something that we're having to construct right now? Like, Mm -hmm. why isn't it natural for us to know what the family does in society? And I think to get to that question, you have to go back even further um, to just the pressing hot button issues of the day. Like, it's interesting to me how we can get so absorbed in the issues and forget that they are simply presenting symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. So they are the thing, but they're not the thing. Yes. Right. And if you can know what the root is, then you can start to deal with with why those symptoms are there. But if you see the symptoms as standalone issues in and of themselves, you're not getting at, well, why did this even happen? How did we even get here? That right. I, th- I think and- we need to have that perspective. And simultaneously, the other thing that is happening in broader society, so we have this um presence of questions about family and home and marriage and how we're going to resolve that question. At the same time, we live in this highly tribalized moment, yes. right? Yep. And this this moment where people are finding themselves um, not in context of their families, but in context of their uh, chosen identity marker mm-hmm. um, or mm-hmm. their particular tribal group, their political group. So yeah. one of the things that's been saddest to me about the last even three or four years is how often I hear people talking about the fragmentation in their family because of coalescing around political identities. Yes. Yep. So in our current state, the family – is not as strong as our politics or our political party right. association. Yes, those discussions about politics have the power to further divide families, whereas before maybe those family bonds would be strong enough, or maybe within the family there would be such similarities in political stances that they wouldn't have to have those strong discussions. But now you hear over and over again, especially when it comes around holidays, people say, oh, no, what are we going to avoid (laughs) talking about over family dinner? Because you don't want to have that further fragmentation and divide with the people that you care about the most. Mm -hmm. And and so I think those kinds of questions are the ones that asking them are going to give us more clarity mm-hmm. than just like going head on to um, how should we resolve these issues? Like what is the right answer to this question? Yeah. It seems to me that something bigger is going on even in how we relate what the family is and what it's doing in society and what we ourselves have lost in our sense of where we belong in the family. And that has swirled around in my head for a long time, but I recently came across a book um, – that gave a really, to me, plausible explanation for where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a book by uh, Mary Eberstadt called Primal Screams. And I think it's just been released or it's it's a fairly new book. And her argument is that all of this traces back to the sexual revolution. Hmm. Okay. Let's, let's okay. do that. Now, now, so here's the fun part. Like Nathan and I joke that somewhere in a conversation – when we're sitting around with friends or we're talking about politics or something, I can always bring it back to the sexual revolution. You and can. he'll sit there. <laughs> yeah. And he'll like look at his watch and like start his timer. And it's like, how long before Hannah says, 
well, you know, <laughs> it all goes back to the sexual revolution. This is your version of the Kevin Bacon game. Six right. degrees of separation. It is. You Six can degrees bring it down. to the sexual revolution. <laughs> so, of course, it was very gratifying to see that someone had written a book, basically validating my assumption that I wasn't going to take time to prove. But she did. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> but But her thesis was essentially this. When we uncoupled... Um, sexuality from family formation. When sex became free um, and it wasn't dependent on marriage vows or family, um, we ended up bringing children and people into the world that were not enmeshed into a network of familial relationships. Okay. And over the decades and over the generations, that's become exacerbated by divorce, by an increasing even lack of marriage. Um, so you have people growing up in very liquid families. Mm-hmm. So there's not the clarity of who do they belong to and who belongs to them. Who mm-hmm. can they trust? Who will always be there? Um, and so what used to be a source of strong identity I am so-and-so's daughter. I am so-and-so's sister. Um, Now the individual has to create identity. Mm -hmm. And and this actually was something I was thinking about a couple years ago when we had visited um, some cathedrals in England. And when you walk through the gravestones or you're looking at the tombs inside the church, these are these massive inscriptions that say, here lies so-and-so. Son of, father of, brother mm-hmm. of. And you come back to the States and, and we're in modern spaces, modern graveyards, and you see just the name mm-hmm. of the isolated person with the birth and death dates. Mm-hmm. And so Ebersot was arguing that when we lost family, we lost the sense of ourselves. And we also needed to find it in tribes. Mm. And so she is proposing that the the sense that we have with our families not being as interconnected and solid is causing us to then seek connectedness in other places rather right. than feeling secure within the family bounds. Okay. Right. And she calls it um, the great scattering, mm-hmm. um, that it was just... It, it was an experiment in free sex that resulted in fragmentation of social bonds. Because her assumption, and I think I've heard this and I think it's valid, is that the, the family is the basic building block of society. I was going to say that I think that most people would agree with that. I think it's then swinging back around to, okay, but then how do you define the home and the family? And so it's right. kind of that circularness. But I, I like what... Um, the the proposal here that this has led the sexual res- revolution has led to our disconnectedness and then there are lots of other factors that have only made that worse um we hear so much today about the disconnection that we have because of our intense use of social media and how that um makes us 
be detached from the people we're in close proximity with, but then doesn't really create solid relationships with the people we're interacting with online in ways that then it's causing deep anxiety within us. So I, I think that's kind of interesting to see it as kind of like the fallout of um, the sexual revolution rather than mm-hmm. these things being independent and happening all on their own. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. And the thing I appreciated most um, about her argument ultimately was that she looked at the things that I have been taught are attacking the family. Mm, So mm -hmm. things like feminism or... Um, you know, gender fluidity or sexual identity politics, she looks at those things not as the cause, but as coping mechanisms, um, basically mm. social adaptations. Mm-hmm. So, so here's how she processes this. She, she basically says that um, individuals are designed to be born into tight familial networks. Mm-hmm where they are nurtured and they grow up and they learn safety. They know who's for them. They know who they can trust. And and they basically learn how to become social creatures. They Mm -hmm. learn how to become um, beings who can seek the common good because they can trust that others are looking out for their good. Mm -hmm. So there's this kind of give and take. So in ideal family situation, a, a younger member is being brought up in the midst of loving, warm, connected relationships. And let's say a girl is being raised with brothers and fathers who love her. And she learns that she can trust them, mm-hmm. that they are present in her life, that they are going to look out for her, that they are going to protect her from other men that would seek to harm her. And so she grows up confident and safe and then able to in turn use whatever she is gifted with resourced with to better support the unit of the family because she knows the unit of the family is supporting her it's kind of Mm -hmm. a one for all all for one sort of dynamic Mm -hmm. but when those bonds are not present when there's massive social fragmentation when gendered relationships are almost entirely sexualized, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, we don't learn how to have brother-sister relationships. Then she moves into a world that's very dangerous and predatory, 
And she's got to adapt to it to keep herself safe. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways she adapts is, well, I can't trust men. Mm-hmm. The only people I can trust are people like me, people who have who've experienced similar um, oppression. Mm-hmm. And we're going to bind together to stave off the danger. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, you know, it's a very reduced argument. Sure. Um, and it's not meant to be applied to everyone's right. process. Well, and, and just as another example, if you're saying that within the family, this is where you do learn that um, the kind of like the collective sense of I have your back, you have mine. But if you don't learn that, whether you are growing up and you are a male or a female, you will go out into the world thinking, well, I've only got my own back. And so therefore, it's me against the world. And there isn't um, a a practice of how do I connect with people and attach to people and learn how to live with everyone's best interests in mind. So I can see how even though you gave a very simple example, I think that that would play out in lots of different ways in terms of how you approach life, how you think of home and family and work, and almost like your whole purpose for being. I think that affects everything. And and it can also exacerbate um, oppression. Like mm-hmm. if you're a selfish person and you grow up um, not having to give to other people mm-hmm. and – And you move into broader society and you just take all of your resources and everything that you have and you never have to share them with anyone Mm -hmm. because you think of them as yours. Like one of the beautiful things about family is that there's this – not just the common good of caring for all the individual members, but you have a common mission. Like you are contributing to the well-being of the household in something as simple as chores or your resources that – Yes, you're you're a distinct in- individual within this constellation of relationships, but you are not an isolated individual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference. It's like, yes, you're distinct. You're not absorbed by the group. Right, right. But you do use what you have for the good of the group. And if you haven't learned that, then you're going to move into society as a very selfish person. And therefore the – if we're we've as we've been talking of the purpose of the home and the place of the home as being this nurturing center where someone is well established well rounded healthy in terms of emotional um, connectedness with others, you're able to operate well within your home, but then also within society. And then the question is, you've mentioned this book and and the author's um, presentation of that these other things are symptoms rather than root causes. If the root cause was sexual revolution, then how do we resolve that root cause? I mean, can we undo the sexual revolution and then all these other things will vanish? Yeah, I don't think that our modern Western norms are going to go backwards. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not just about sex, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's about the way we perceive of ourselves as individuals and the rights that we have and – um. You know, as as 
necessary and beautiful as it was to establish this life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness kind of frame, what comes along with, um, especially in the United States, this, this sense of individualism will ultimately result in the sexual revolution, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the sexual revolution had predicators too. Right, um, right. And so <laughs> I mean, we can I just keep thinking. going I mean, back. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, but I do think in terms of family, um, on an individual level, I think for me, it has caused me to commit so deeply to the sanctity of my home. Mm-hmm. To fight so hard for the integrity of my marriage, not just for this romantic sense of you can't, you shouldn't, you know, you should be in love with your spouse or you shouldn't do these things, right? Mm -hmm. Good people, good Christians don't do these things. But when when I think in terms of this home is not just about this house. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not just about this marriage. It's about like the the raising of people and mm-hmm. image bearers and the shaping of them then we have so much reason to say no to all of the temptations that would destroy that right right so on a personal level it's caused me to really really commit to the integrity of my home the integrity of my marriage but also to just take so much satisfaction and joy and what we're doing mm-hmm. and to be proud of it. I mean, honestly, yes. like legitimately, I sent my husband a text uh, last week sometime and I was like, blah, 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 you know, and I am so proud of the family we're building. Mm-hmm. And to see it as a shared work, not something that just comes by happenstance, right? Yeah. But something that is actually at odds with the current movements, and if we can do it, something that will be life and health, not just to our people inside mm-hmm. home, but will be life and health to broader society at large. And I think that vision, that broad vision, that big vision, that's so inspiring too, because the the daily work of home and family and relationships that's tough. I mean, there are hard things within families. I mean, we've talked about the the types of conversations and stances that will divide people. There are things within a family you have to keep working at, but it's knowing that as you work in these relationships, it's building the type of people who can then go and go into society and then build their homes and families and relationships and it it and build broader building community that, yeah because they'll know it's for what, the greater good yeah yeah so so they will have learned hopefully what healthy community looks yeah. like yeah and they will have learned simple things like how to resolve disagreements yes yes how to how to pitch in and carry your load yep how to how to love someone well who's not like yeah. you. And what's so beautiful about this, and, and this is why I just, I'm enamored with God's design of human beings and of community. I am not very persuaded by romantic arguments for the home and family. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the whole fall in love, Prince Charming, right, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> have your beautiful little home. It's domestic. Throw it up on Instagram. That right. does very little for me. But when I think of the genius, the absolute genius of God's design to place people 
ideally, right, in a context of safety Mm -hmm. where they can learn the kinds of things that they'll need for an unsafe world. So when my kids don't know how to resolve their conflicts, it doesn't have these massive stakes because they are in a place of safety and grace that is going to teach them before it becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll say this to our kids, like we are, you have to respond to us a certain way as parents because there's a way that we must respect authority structures in life and in society. So even if you disagree with us, you're welcome to tell us that, but there's a way you have to disagree with us right? And there's a way you have to engage with disagreement. And I will tell them, I am just preparing you for when someone, like a police officer pulls you over Mm -hmm. and you know that you were not speeding. And instead of telling him off and losing it, Mm -hmm. you will have learned here and now with your mom and dad how to approach authority in a way that is healthy and respectful. Mm -hmm. And so it's fascinating to me how God has, in its ideal form, designed this thing that is nurturing and shaping us and creating us, in us, the very things we'll need to go out into broader society. But to Mm -hmm. do it in a place where you're safe and loved. Yeah, yeah. And in this way, I think that it, we've um, affirmed and validated, again, the sense that the home is such a special place, such a unique place. Um, It's so needed and um, key to our survival and and to the benefit of society as a whole. And this is why these sorts of conversations are needed. And also why this is something that... um, brings up so much tension. And and I think that that's why we're all passionate about it is because it is so important and so key. But I think what's been hard in the past is to tease out why it's important. And so I think um, from this conversation today, my hope is that we've come at this conversation from a couple different angles now, um, especially with discussing what's the cause versus effect in terms of where we are today so that you can have a better understanding of where we are with seeing the home and its place in society and that sense that it's under attack and then why and what are we fighting for? What are we even trying to defend? Mm -hmm. So yeah, this has been really good conversation for today. And I I can't leave without adding this tag. Oh, great. What do you got? So hearing all this, like the beauty of the vision, the beauty of the home, it is – I don't want it to come across as if the majority of us don't exist in brokenness. Mm. Because one Mm -hmm. of the things that I have found so difficult and isolating is when we present these beautiful visions for the home and we don't say, yeah, but – most of us have experienced the brokenness. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it leaves you feeling alone when you're like, that's beautiful, but that's not what I have experienced. And so I just want to validate that if these are the forces in play in broader society and you are listening to this and you have had deep, intense familial brokenness, you're probably in the majority. Mm-hmm. That is what we're saying. That that we are living in a moment in history where the 
the liquidation of the family has resulted in more pain and more confusion and loss of identity. And so if you're experiencing that, you're not alone. No, no. That's a very common thing. But there is hope in that, that there Mm -hmm. is a way to recover a vision, not just for the family as an abstract concept, but for you in your own relationships going forward. And and I really think that a lot of folks at this point are going to become those kinds of transitional generations where you're breaking the family cycle or you're making attempts to do something that you never had done for you. And that's mm-hmm. going to feel very confusing and isolating and you're going to feel a sense of loss or failure perhaps, but you're not alone. And a whole lot of people are in those same spaces trying to navigate this kind of broken wasteland that we've yes. inherited. It's like learning something that was never there and right. the deficits coming over those. So yes, I would agree to that. And I think that's a really good word of encouragement, Hannah, because um, – yeah, we all we all have those those pockets where there's something missing, and um, it is worth pressing into these things and uh, attempting to go against our our grain. And if you want to think of it like that, it's like we have one way of doing it, but there's a, there's actually um, much benefit in trying these new ways that that will bring life and hope. So yeah, good word. Yeah. We would love to have you uh, join the conversation with us um, on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC or in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum. A a topic like this always brings up um, questions, issues, conversations Mm -hmm. that need to go along with that. And we would love to join in with those. And you can find us on Twitter or become a member of the Christ and Pop Culture community for just $5 a month supporting these podcasts and the writing and all sorts of things that are happening within Christ and pop culture. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can give those shows a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com or go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture and all the shows will pop up there. I'll be sure to put a whole bunch of notes for you or links for you in the show notes so you can uh, find some of these things that Hannah and I have been discussing on the show today. We do thank you for listening to Persuasion and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.